Need some activities to do this weekend? We've got you covered. This is What's on Tap on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. We've got some great stuff this weekend. Here we go. What's on Tap? The Milwaukee Film Festival. 300 films from local to international documentaries, shorts, and movies for kids. Plus, there's some Q&A sessions. This is pretty good stuff. Now, now it's going through May 4th at the Oriental Theater, the Times Cinema, the Avalon Theater. If nothing else, it's a great excuse to see a movie in a classic, beautiful theater. Isn't it incredible that we have this resource in our city? Yeah. It is really a cool thing to take part in. And it's on my bucket list because I'm always somehow... yeah working so i want to do this myself check it out and there's so many options yeah. uh the website is mkefilm.org mkefilm.org or if you're headed towards beloit the downtown beloit spring wine walk how about this you can sip and stroll right through downtown you can you're take allowed to just go there and just walk around drinking you are i don't know if you always are but you they encourage it for this event i mean that might get me to beloit you can literally walk around with a glass of wine how right. good is that you actually get a commemorative wine glass and all sorts of goodies. The restaurants are open. Saturday afternoon is when this happens. I've never been to Beloit. Have you? Yeah, a couple times. Yeah. It's a lovely downtown. That's it cool. really, really is. Is that old school downtown? Yep, totally Charming. is. With nice. Town Square. Yeah. So go to downtownbeloit.com for the Downtown Beloit Spring Wine Walk. It's this Saturday. The Wisconsin Singers Concert. Some of the state's most beautiful voices at the Wisconsin Singers Concert. It's school kids with the guidance from a Britain's Got Talent TV show. They are in town for this. It's just really good, wholesome entertainment. And it takes place in Edgerton at the Performing Arts Center. So in Edgerton, and that's on Saturday. So you can do Beloit Wine Walk and then show up at this concert. Completely loaded. Just kidding. No, I don't advise that. I don't. The Edgerton Performing Arts Center. And this is on Saturday. And how about this one? Let's stay with music. The Monkees, celebrated by Mickey Dolenz. Mickey Dolenz is the last surviving member of the band. He's the only monkey that's still alive. And he will be in Milwaukee on Sunday night. He's sharing music and lots of stories. He's going to give a show, which isn't just music, but it's kind of a multimedia presentation. This promises to be a lot of fun. It's the Monkees celebrated by Mickey Dolenz. It's Sunday at 8 at another great theater. This one's at the Paps Theater. I love, I love the Paps. I love the Paps, too. Isn't it gorgeous? Yeah, it's just beautiful. It's a great place to see a show. Think about the places we've just mentioned just casually. I mean, the Avalon, the Oriental, the Paps, Riverside is in town. But they're back, John, because people can go, yes, right? Yes, I love it. Yeah. So that one is Sunday at 8 o'clock. You can always check this out by going to WTMJ.com. It's all posted at WTMJ.com if you miss the details. That is What's on Tap for Thursday, April 20th. Up next, this is going to be an interesting conversation. So who's in for president? There's some interesting developments on that just today. And what about who could face Tammy Baldwin in 2024? Where is that list at? The brightest political mind that I know is inside that head of Charles Benson. And CB will be with us up next on WTMJ. Been waiting all day to talk to our friend Charles Benson. He is the chief political correspondent and anchor at TMJ4. Charles, thanks for being with us. Great to be here. And as you know, I'm in the uh, weather office. So you might hear some activity behind me because they're pretty busy over here. They might press you into service. They are busy over they there might. for sure. <laughs> yeah. Hey, I wanted to start by asking you about the presidential race because this has gotten really interesting sources are saying that joe biden will formally announce a second term next week this isn't a surprise the first lady first hinted at this a while back that he was probably going to run uh what's your takeaway from the uh, for the timing on this 
Uh, the timing is, yes, you're right. We've been expecting this. We've been waiting for this. Uh, so no real big surprise, you know, as to why now. I think he's trying to line it up for when he announced in uh, 2020 that he was running for 2020. So no surprise here. Uh, and I think everybody expected that this was eventually going to come sooner rather than later. Charles, let's talk about the six candidates that have entered the race, um, the Republicans, and two um, very brave Democrats who have entered the race. Um, What do you think about how it's shaking out thus far? So I think what's interesting to me is really, uh, you know, the two candidates on the Republican side getting the most conversation and the most buzz is, you know, Ron and Don. And they're talking about uh, the former president, Donald Trump, and the current governor of Florida, Ron DeSantis. I mean, those are the two names that get the most attention. But out of those two, only one has declared. So we haven't officially heard from DeSantis, and that's expected to happen pretty soon. But uh, by my count, I think about five Republicans have already indicated that they are going to run. But three of them are the ones that probably have more name recognition, one of them being Nikki Haley. She's the former governor out of South Carolina and worked in the Trump administration as a U.S. ambassador. And then a guy named Asa Hutchinson, who was also a former uh, governor. So there's still a lot of names out there that are making the rounds certainly look like they're going to run. You know, guys like Mike Pence, the former former vice president, uh, Senator Tim Scott. You're going to go down a list of a lot of governors, Chris Sununu, the New Hampshire governor, Greg Abbott out of Texas, Chris Christie, former governor of New Jersey. I mean, I can go on and on here. But what's interesting to me, and I went back and looked at this, we've got the presidential primary coming to Milwaukee. That will be in in August sometime. They haven't picked the exact date. Uh, And so we're about four months away from that. You know, in 20. 16 in that race on that very first debate there were 10 people on the stage who had already declared of course donald trump was one of them and there was another guy standing right next to him in that first debate in cleveland a guy by the name of scott walker who was currently the governor who was the governor of wisconsin at that time but there were also like four other candidates that didn't even make the a list or the first tier so we really had a lot of names on that republican side and right now it doesn't look to be that crowded of a field, things could obviously change here in the next four months, especially if they want to get on that stage in August. Charles Benson with us, TMJ Force Charles Benson. On the Democratic side, and Amy alluded to this, Robert F. Kennedy Jr., an anti-vaccine activist, environmental lawyer, incredible family name, has announced that he's going to run. What makes this interesting for me, Charles, and you pointed this out to me, is that Robert Kennedy Jr. and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, that Aaron Rodgers have had a little bit of back and forth on Twitter. Yeah, they have. This has been interesting. You know, back in March, we saw a picture with Robert F. Kennedy Jr. and Aaron Rodgers. They tweeted out this picture. But, you know, Kennedy uh, Jr. announced uh, a few days ago he was running. And then he put out on Twitter these words. Give me a sword. I need an army. And it can't be just the party. I need Democrats, Republicans, and independents. And then Aaron Rodgers retweeted that with just a picture of a sword. Not sure what that means, but seemed to be uh, referring to give me a sword. So uh, that was an interesting connection there, and I don't know what it is. But I do think, you know, uh, RFK Jr. entering into the race, 
no one's giving him a chance of trying to unseat or be uh, have any chance of getting the nomination here. But he will have an interesting conversation around some of these ideas that does play with a certain segment of the audience out there. And it's going to be interesting to see what kind of media attention does he even make it on a debate stage. That would be fascinating as well. Can he get 10 or 15 percent of people backing him? That's a story I am going to watch because traditionally within the party that's in the White House, you don't get much of a challenge. And the question is going to be how much of a challenge, not just based on family name, can he make in this uh, 2024 election? Charles Benson is with us. Want to ask you a question or two about the Senate seat here in Wisconsin open in 2024. Tammy Baldwin up for reelection. Republicans seem gun shy. To jump into this race, Tammy Baldwin's had a lot of success in her reelection efforts here in the state of Wisconsin. What are you hearing about the possibilities on the Republican side? So uh, it's interesting you use that term. They're shy here because of Tammy Baldwin. And I wrote a piece on this last week when she's announced. There's reasons to feel like, wow, this race is not for if you're a Republican right now. What are you taking on here? And you're going to be taking on a Democrat who has proven to go against the odds of what we see in Wisconsin. That is, we're a battleground state. These are close elections. They're decided by one or two points. But not when it comes to Tammy Baldwin. Last time around, she won by double digits, just by more than 10 points. The first time around, she beat a big name in the Republican Party, Tommy Thompson, uh, and won by five or six points. So this is going to be uh, a big challenge for Republicans. If your, your, your first look is going to be who's on the congressional side, a Brian Style, a Mike Gallagher. Those are two people that a lot of people look at and say, why not those two guys? And I think when you look at the timing, and I think timing is everything in politics, both of these guys, Style and Gallagher, have just gotten some key leadership roles in Congress, and if they were to decide to run, they would have to give up their seat, and so that would be a big challenge for them. So neither is indicating anything right now that they would like to get into this challenge in 2024. So then you'll go back into some other familiar names. Eric Hovde, the the business guy out of uh, Madison, he was in the U.S. Senate race back in 2012 and did fairly well in the primary. And then, of course, Kevin Nicholson's name is going to come up again because of the time he has spent trying to get this seat back in uh, 2018 and his current run for governor, although he eventually dropped out of that. To me, it's John, it's going to come down to who's out there that could surprise people. Uh, I've seen some reporting on the former Milwaukee County Sheriff David Clark. He is and was a big Trump supporter. Can he get in? Does he want to get in? What does he do uh, to, to potentially make this uh, an interesting run? And then Scott Mayer, who's not a well-known person, business guy in the Milwaukee County area. Those are just some of the names that are out there right now. TMJ4 chief political reporter. Always great perspective. Charles, thank you so much for being with us. You're welcome. Pretty big play, too, for the Bucks here. They do not want Miami to get much closer here. His court is going to launch the three and connects from the deep corner left. Bucks play-by-play guy Dave Kane is with us on WTMJ. Dave, how are you? 
I'm doing great. Better now after uh, last night. Yeah. Things are feeling a little bit grim there for a little bit, but that's kind of just uh, how they, how we roll with the Bucks early in these, these series, it seems. Yeah, you know, so uh, Greg and I were both at the game last night, and I could definitely feel the difference in the crowd now. You know, in game one, it was tough for the crowd to get into it early because it wasn't a great start. My question is, when you're there, and I was actually a few rows behind you, I mean, in front of you, excuse me, I could see you up where I were, and you were so engrossed in your stuff that I didn't want to bother you, but where you are... Can you sense in the arena with your headset and everything on when the crowd is more intense or more into it or more unhappy? I was wondering who said it was. I was trying to see around that. Now, <laughs> it was you in front of me. Okay. <laughs> That's right. Um, you, you know, it's funny. When, when you ask that because I do think with a headset on, sometimes you don't have the true appreciation for the, the, the real energy of a crowd. Sometimes I'll take my headset off just to really feel it, because it really does kind of siphon off the noise. You've got a sense for the noise for sure, but uh, I don't know that it's quite as significant as when I'm not wearing that headset. Uh, it, it is a different experience, but, yeah, you know, we, we know when the crowd's in it. Obviously, last night it was much more bumping than it was uh, the previous game, but, uh, yeah, you, you can get a little bit desensitized to it when, when you're wearing that headset because it does. I mean, those things are designed to be directional to mics so they don't pick up all that noise. It makes it easier for you to hear yourself and hear guys that you're working with. But, um, yeah, to your point, though, they just never really had a chance to get into it that first game. I, I don't know. There, there just wasn't that level of energy. And it, it, the reality is I do think fans sometimes do get a little spoiled when you've had a, a large measure of success over an extended period of time, which this Bucks franchise has, which is a great thing. And, you know, I'm lucky enough to have come from a place where they also experienced that. But when you first get into it, you touch that rarefied air for the first time. I think there's something a little different about the energy, particularly early in playoffs. And I think you see it in Sacramento. That's a team that hadn't been there in 17 years, and you watch that game. It's like game seven of the NBA Finals every game they play right now. But, you know, I mean, I think that sometimes you're around it for a while, and maybe that novelty wears off, and you save your best for maybe the Eastern Conference Finals and John Willie in the Finals. Hey, Dave, we've got a pretty rough connection, so I'm gonna, we're going to hang up with you, and I'm going to ask you to move to another big part of your huge mansion there, and uh, Adam's going to give you a call back. So Adam's going to call you right back here, and we'll try to get Dave back on the line. I really want to uh, get his take on the difference between games one and two, and Greg, it was quite a difference in this Bucks team. Yeah, so I think you watched the Heat play in game number one, and, and they did, this is the worst scoring team in all of the NBA, and they score 130 on the Bucks, and you're thinking, ah, yeah. oh, it's not going to happen again, right? And then the Bucks go out and put up 25 threes. Actually, they put up 49. They made 25. Well, that's not going to happen either, right? So it, the, the playoffs is this weird roller coaster odyssey where you get these anomalies sort of games. And, and just as soon as you point to one and say, that won't happen again, something else just comes out of nowhere. But Another they made statistical it, anomaly. They made it without Giannis. I mean, that's, that's the impressive part. That's what we were talking about a couple days ago, right? They so, came through. Yeah. I'm impressed with the offense, but the defense, they still gave up. Well, last night was a weird game because the fourth quarter it was kind of out of reach, but they still gave up, what, 122 points? Well, I guess my point is not a criticism, but I think they can be even better on the defensive end than they've shown so far in the first two games of this series. I, I think you're right, and, and I, it, you're right. It's hard to judge what happened in the fourth quarter when you're up 33. Uh, to be outscored by 17 in the fourth quarter and still win by 16 yeah. is pretty impressive. It shows the level of defense they played leading up to that point, I guess is my point. Um, it was just not a good shooting night for a team that historically, or at least this season, was not a very good shooting team.
Hey, let's bring Dave Kane back in here. Uh, Dave, we were just talking about defense, and the Bucks with a really nice victory last night, but I, I think they can still play even better defense. They still gave up over 120 points last night. Now, that fourth quarter was kind of weird, so you really can't judge it, but I think they can still play even better on defense. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I, I think that you look at the way that thing played out, it was offense that won the game. I mean, they hit 25 three-pointers. You're not going to lose too many games when you shoot like that, but yeah, it's kind of interesting. You you talk about the Bucks defense this season. They, they went from 18th in the league from March 11th to April 9th in the final 16 games in the regular season. They've been first in the league in, in the 20 games before that. So it had tailed off just a little bit. But, you know, sometimes it's hard to be great at everything at once. And I think when you're rolling like that and the pace is getting pushed a little bit, sometimes you can get caught up in that. But yeah, and also when you don't have Giannis out there, I think that changes things as well. I mean, that, that guy's also a defensive player of the year candidate just about every year, so you miss him. But, yeah, there's absolutely – they can do a much better job from that perspective, I would say, for sure. So I, it gave me pause yesterday, Dave, when Giannis was elevated on the injury report to questionable. Not that it made it a slam dunk that he would play, but it, it opened my mind as to the idea that he likely tried to do some stuff on the floor – uh, I'm sure he's going to travel to Miami. That single designation, that elevation, th- does that give you more hope that he could play in Game 3? You know, I just looked at the injury, and, and I, look, I'm not going to pretend to be an, uh, a doctor here, but I do think that this is not the kind of injury where it's like a muscular type thing where you're saying, okay, if he goes out there, he's going to re-injure it further. I, from everybody I've talked to, I get the sense that it's it's something where once he's able to, to push off and, and you know have that dynamic explosion that makes him who he is, I I, I get the sense that he's going to be good to go. And and you know it's funny. I actually talked to Marcus Johnson about this. We were sitting at practice the other day, and he, you know, I was saying, "Have you ever experienced something like this?" And he would said, "Yeah, I had probably about five or six of these throughout my career." And he said, "It's one of these deals where usually, and this was his experience. He said in about four or five days, you feel like you're you're good to go." And I don't know. So if, if that's the timeline in that sense, you'd think Giannis should be in pretty good shape to play on Saturday. And, and again, this is the benefit of having two games, two days baked in between both games one and two and then games two and three. So how, how does Miami feel now coming up on Saturday? What are they what are they facing and what's the psychological viewpoint for them? Well, probably I would say a lot more like the, the way they felt coming into this series, which is to say we got our hands full. I, I think that was a statement game for the Bucks, for sure, in game two to, to show any you know rumors of their demise have been greatly exaggerated. When you can do what they did without Giannis, put up 138 points, that's the most points that's ever been scored by a team in playoff history, minus their leading score from the regular season. So I, I think that's got to give you some real pause moving forward. And, and here's the other reality. When they lose Tyler Hero, that changes this team. I, I think that they already were at a disadvantage, but their spacing and everything they're able to do without that number one three-point shooter, he had more threes than anybody on that team, and he is an offensive talent, to be sure. The Milwaukee native son unable to go the rest of the way, I think that really hurts this group. And, and I also think, just from a size standpoint, they don't really have anyone inside to handle Brooke Lopez, and we saw that, and then you bring Bobby Lope, brought Bobby Portis into the mix, and Giannis potentially banking in the mix it's going to be a tall order for these guys i guess figuratively and literally dave kane is the voice of the bucks thank you so much dave all right guys hopefully that connection was a little better i got to get out of my basement here you know all these tornado warnings right <laughs> yep it's always good to have you with us dave good stuff